Welcome to Charting Uncharted Waters, Special Education in the Days of COVID, a project of the Olivet Nazarene University Special Education Program. We know that the COVID-19 pandemic has changed the work of special educators, and we want to understand how. With this podcast, we are aiming to gather future special educators together to listen to the reflections of practicing special educators, particularly listening for the ways their work has changed since the initial wave of coronavirus cases caused our schools to close back in March. Every episode is a conversation between someone from Olivet, either a special education major or a professor on one side of the table, and a practicing special ed teacher from one of our local schools on the other. In this episode, a junior special education major from Olivet, Kaylee Liu, will be interviewing Kelly Wadley, a teacher in the Mantino School District at Mantino Middle School. To start off, just kind of do an introduction. So who you are, where you teach, um, just kind of like that. Okay, my name is Kelly Wadley. I am a middle school special education teacher at um, Mantino Middle School. This is my 32nd year in education. My bachelor's degree was in deaf and hard of hearing. And so I spent 10 years teaching uh, middle school hearing impaired classes and interpreting. And then I spent the next number of years at the high school um, where I did the vocational program, taught some instructional classes, and also served as the transition specialist. For the last three and a half years, I have been here at Mantino Middle School and I teach instructional English language arts and math to fifth through eighth graders. What inspired you to go into special education and then specifically deaf and hard of hearing? Because I know um, that your bachelor's is in that specifically. When I was growing up, I had the opportunity to work in my high school, um, volunteering with some of the special education classes. And at that time, a lot of the classes were still kind of set off in a different area of the high school. And I Mm -hmm. began a short project for my psychology class, I believe it was and working within the adaptive PE class. And I just really liked it. And I continued after that project was over. And so that kind of got me thinking about it. And then a pastor that I had, his family ran a camp in the summer for special needs individuals. And so I worked at that for three or four summers and decided that was what I wanted to do. And when the time came to um, enroll, I went to Illinois State University. They asked me what specialization I wanted And I really hadn't thought about that. And I was like, oh, I don't know. And she said, well, let me just tell you, if you want deaf and hard of hearing, you need to make sure you mark that because that's our smallest program and our most selective. So you won't be able to make that choice later. So knowing that, but knowing nothing else, I'm like, oh, well, I'm going to check that. And then (laughs) if I get in and I don't like it, I can get out, but I can't, you know. Right. (laughs) So I signed up for deaf and hard of hearing. I've never known anyone that had a significant hearing impairment or was deaf. I did not know more than a couple letters of the sign language alphabet. So I did that. I um, was in a small group of students. We traveled through the program together. There were only 15 of us and I just loved it. And so um, I spent the next 10 years doing that. Those programs are few and far between. And as It became more important to parents to have their students in their home district as opposed to in a cluster program, um, maybe located a little distance away from their hometown. It got to be just smaller and smaller programs. And I was also driving at the time. So I made the switch to use my certificate 
at that time, everything was different. Like I have a certificate in learning disabilities. I have a certificate in emotional disabilities. I have a certificate in what used to be called TMH, and then they've combined them all at the state level. So I had a bunch of different certificates. In an effort to be closer to home when my kids were young, I switched to learning my, using my uh, learning disabled certificate, and that's just where I've been. So with the certificates now, do you think it's more beneficial to have them all clumped together, or do you think you learned more having specific training in each of those? That's a really interesting question, because I've thought of quite a bit about this. And I remember thinking that when they were making that switch, that there were, at the time, certain things that were a different certificate. And at the time, primarily like autism was kind of off to the side. And they were going to put all of the concentrations together. And at the time, I was a member of a professional organization for teachers of the hearing impaired. And we worked really hard to make sure that hearing impaired and visually impaired did not get grouped together because we just felt like their needs were so much different. Um, and as I've gone over a number of years, I honestly feel like the individual certifications have been much more beneficial to me because I had just a real concentration of learning disabilities and what are the different disabilities and how can we accommodate for those and um, what is the research on some of the programs and I had a real fear when they grouped everything together that all of a sudden I was certified to teach students that I hadn't been certified to teach a month before and I'm like right. I didn't take any more additional classes I didn't so that to me was kind of scary on a personal level but then as I've talk to colleagues over the years, and I know special education isn't the only field that's done that. I know that others have done that as well and just kind of made it a broader certificate. But I, I do feel like there were things I had the opportunity to learn and focus on that maybe some of the students today don't have because it's just that larger cross-categorical certificate. Yeah, that's very interesting. As someone who I mean, we'll have their certification and be able to, you know, the whole spectrum, so to speak. It's very interesting to hear that you have specific certifications. Yes. When I went to college, it was LD or BD or TMH or EMH or severe and profound. And some of those terms, you know, aren't um, politically correct anymore. And, but they just kind of put them all together. And I thought to myself at the time, I'm like, I don't know anything about teaching a student with autism. Hmm. And I'm like, and now all of a sudden they say I can. And I'm like, oh my gosh, what do I do? So going back to COVID related, when you were first told that you're going remote, what was your very first thought? I think initially it was just this thought of confusion. I was like, what is happening? What are, what are we doing? We've never done this before. Um, we were told on a Friday afternoon that this was happening and that we should send whatever our students needed home with them. We were still going to be in school on Monday, but it wasn't a required attendance day for students. And so the announcement came about an hour before school got out on Friday. And it was just, 
oh my goodness, what do we do? And my students typically leave their supplies in the room. Right. Um, and so then we're like, okay, we need to get this student. Okay, we got to get this book to this student. Okay, they, they're going to need this. Oh, I don't know if they need this or not. And it was just this mad rush to locate students and to get them their supplies. And I just, at the time, I didn't even really know what it meant. And I'm like, is this like for a week? Is this like for two weeks? So I think there was just that real uncertainty about, and just kind of a frantic couple of hours there that what do we do? And, uh, you know, so then we set out on that Tuesday with a remote learning planning day. And again, you're like, what do we do with this? How do we approach this? <laughs> it was really just kind of a, a strange feeling, not sure where we were headed or how we were going to make it work and what did the students need? And so, yeah, very, very interesting afternoon. <laughs> <laughs> what would you say your your first fear was when you heard that you were going remote? I do not feel that technology is my strong point. I can kind of figure out what I need to figure out, but I'm not like what you would say a real techie person that wants to try all the new things and is into all the bells and whistles and so forth. And so I was just like, how am I going to make this work? And how am I going to do some of the things I'm used to doing in this way and you know make it accessible to all my students so I think that was my that was my first fear it was followed by others shortly after that (laughs) that's a that's a very valid fear though because even coming from somebody who you know is a technology native um I like I've never used zoom before so I was trying to figure that out today and so I can't imagine from you know, the aspect of in the teaching world, having to switch everything to something that is so unknown, even I mean, even from the college aspect, we were put in positions of, okay, you're going to have to use this recording service. And our teachers have gone all the way from we've used Zoom, Microsoft Teams, Canvas conferences. So constantly evolving in technology where even as technology natives, it's so new to us as well. Mm -hmm. That was that was fearful. So how did you personally transition your class to remote learning? What did that look like for you? It was a pretty slow process, to be honest. I had a lot of students that just struggled to access the technology and struggled to get on. So I I started by trying to communicate through email because that was something that they were familiar with. And then I started to teach myself Google Classroom. That was just something I did not have to use in the way my classes were set up prior. And so I started to teach myself that. I knew some of my students had used that in other classes. And so we tried to introduce that. Well, then we were given Zoom opened up for free and gave us free licenses. So we started utilizing the Zoom. And it was just very eye-opening to me to see how much my students struggled and yet how much time I had to put into it to like make it work. And, you know, I would get messages from students. Are we having a Zoom meeting? Where's that link? How do, how do I know what class to go to? What, because not only did we introduce all this new technology, but our schedule totally changed. We went to an A day, B day schedule. So they only had half their classes each day. Every class had a different Zoom link. The times didn't match up with what they were used to doing in school. And so I had some students that really, they didn't do hardly anything because they just couldn't navigate it. And some of them didn't have 
the support at home to assist them with that. Parents were at work or parents weren't familiar with the technology. They didn't have enough Wi-Fi for three or four students to be on at the same time. So I felt like the transition was slow and I ended up just relying a lot on Flipgrid because I could record fairly easily. My students could view it, they could respond. And I also, for those students that had quite a bit of difficulty, I used the chat feature in Google. So it was more immediate feedback because what I was finding was they were emailing me a question and it could be in the evening. Well, then it goes a couple hours and I see it to respond and they're off for the day. So then it was just a very laborious process to solve the most simple question. Something that would have been done in just a couple minutes in the classroom was just dragging on and on. So with a few of my students, we actually utilized the chat feature so we could do that. Or I would say to them, jump on Google Meets, let's talk this out. And we would go that route. But yeah, I felt like it was really a slow process, but I ended up, I had just a lot of individual time with students because a lot of them weren't on at the same time and and things like that. So it sounds like in the beginning it was really rough, but overall, obviously we're not at the end of it because, you know, we're <laughs> still where we are. But do you think that your students received it well? Did they adapt by the end of it using the chats and Google Meets and everything like that? I feel like I had some that really did adapt well. They caught on to it. They figured out how to navigate everything. They would jump on when they had a question. I had others that wanted to do well and just kind of struggled. Um, I had one student that I could just count on every day. She was going to email me a couple times. Do I have this class today? Or do you know what meeting I have next? Or in some cases with our students, I have two classes that are going live at the same time. Which one should I go to? Because not only did my students have their regular academic classes, but those students that had related services like social work or OT or speech, they were trying to do that virtually as well. And so when they had time set aside with the speech therapist and then their social studies class decided they were meeting. So it, it became difficult for some of them. And I, and I had a few others that we met individually trying to walk through some things. And you'd think that you, you know, that they had it. And two days later, I can't do this. It's too much. I can't do it all. I'm staying in with my grandma and grandpa. So she ended up just, you know, not able to navigate that. So based on those things, that was how we started this year was we started with Google Classroom and we started, this is, you know, how we're going to access it. This is where the meets link is. This is how you turn something in. This is, and we just kind of went back to the basics and I've tried to make sure that over the first quarter that we really um, focused on some of that. Things that I didn't have to do in the classroom, I found that I needed to do virtually. So things like a bell ringer or an exit ticket where we would do it very quickly in the classroom, I had to make a Google form for that. And so then they had to learn how to go out of Google Classroom, complete the form, and then come back. So those kinds of things we just had to keep working on. And I, every so often I tell myself, okay, we need to go back and do that again now so that in the event we go remote anytime soon, that they've practiced that. 
those were kind of the more difficult things. Students that wanted to show me something, you know, trying to hold it up to the screen and can you see this and, you know, those types of things. So, yeah, we really just kind of ran the gamut of how everyone received it. And this year, I will say that I've had some students out on quarantine and when they're on quarantine, they are not responsible for checking in because not every student is in a class that goes live. So not every student has that opportunity. Um, my students, I am live in nearly every class. And when we started and I had students go quarantine, the very first day I had a couple of girls log in and they're like, well, we remembered what you told us about where the link was and how to get in. And I was like, okay, well, I'm going to consider this a win. I mean, we've already <laughs> gotten further than we did, you know, in the spring. So that's been good. And I've been trying to take more of our paper documents and switch them to electronic, introduce Cami so they can, you know, interact with the PDF documents. We've been really trying to incorporate a lot more of that into what we're doing in the classroom and in an effort to be a little more prepared. So knowing your students that you have, do you think that the transition went better or worse than you expected? In the spring? Yes. That's difficult to say because I'm not sure what I expected because it was new to me. I mean, I'd taken an online course or two before, but it was very much, you know, here's your stuff, read this, make a post to comment, you know, respond to somebody's comments. Maybe there's a group session once a week. And I just thought, well, we've never practiced any of that stuff using technology. So I think as a whole, I didn't really know what to expect. But as I look at individual students, I can say, okay, they really did above and beyond what I expected they would be able to do. Or there were a few students I thought, really, they should have been able to do more. They made a choice to not get involved. Um, and I think because the mandate from the state was that things weren't graded and attendance wasn't taken. I just had some students that made the choice, well, I don't really need to do that. Um, and some students that were quite capable. And then I think for other students, I just, the whole issue of equity became much more, I just became much more aware of that, that how what we were expecting of students could not be the same because of situations. And, um, a lot of times when students come into the school building, they bring some of those things from home with them, but you can kind of deal with that and maybe they get, maybe they use this as an escape for some of those things. When they're in their home and everybody is sheltered there, it's not always a good situation. And quite honestly, I, I had a student and I just said, you know what, don't worry about this. Hmm. This is really not important because there were just a lot of other things going on in the home. And I think you have to realize that. And that's really what opened my eyes. Students that wanted to do something and just didn't have those executive functioning skills or the support to tackle it. And they just didn't know what, what to do. And then those students that didn't have the resources. And then I had other students that parents were off work and were home all day long. And, you know, you need to sit down from these hours and you need to do this. So I think that whole idea of equity, I always knew it was there, but I think in the situation in the spring, it just really opened my eyes and uh, caused me to look at things a little bit differently. 
So obviously you've had students come in and out of quarantine, but now that most of your class is back to in-person learning, but you are still under very strict guidelines. You know, I know at Olivet here, we have the teaching boxes, you know, our teachers are in a masking tape box. What has been the biggest challenge for you in interacting with your students and really making sure that they understand the content and just being in the classroom? For me, I firmly believe that one of the first things you need to do is you need to develop that relationship with students. And when you have that relationship with with students, many times they want to do well for you. You also have an understanding of what is their story and what can I expect and what, what do I need to be aware of? I have found that really challenging because you're supposed to maintain your distance you're wearing a mask. I have students multiple years typically, but for my fifth graders who were new, some of them, I, you know, when I see them without their mask, which is rare, I'm just like, oh, they just look so different to me. Or I had a young man that had braces and I'm like, I had no idea, which I think is how he wanted it. But, you know, I felt it's been difficult to build relationships because when you want to talk to a student, I don't want to talk to them from six feet away about hey, how was your weekend? Or hey, did you go to dad's this weekend? How did that go? Because to me, those are just more private conversations that shouldn't be heard by the rest of the class. And so it becomes difficult to have those types of conversations. So that I have felt has been one challenge. The other thing is when it comes to helping students, a lot of this is new for my fifth graders. They haven't used the curriculums that we're using. They haven't had a Chromebook of their own. They've used Chromebooks for certain things, but now at the middle school, every student has a Chromebook and it's used widely, but getting them to navigate where to go and what to do and how to set a bookmark and and all of those things, that's been hard to do from a distance because your inclination is to walk up and and point. And I do have the Promethean board and we do project it, but for some students making that transfer from what's up here to what's right in front of me is difficult. And I like to sit right down next to a student. I don't usually have my desks where everyone is facing front. We're usually in a U shape where they can see each other and we can, you know, we stress class discussion. All of those things together have just been a challenge, I think, and how can we, I feel sometimes we're just like walking in mud. It's just been a slow, slow process. And I keep reminding myself, I have to give myself a little bit of grace. I have to give them a little bit of grace. This is all new and we're going to get there. And so I've honestly been able to, to do that a little better than I thought I would. I've just had to readjust my thinking a little bit, but I still really miss just grabbing a chair and sitting down next to a kid and say, hey, let's tackle this. Let me help you out with this. And instead it's like, hold on, let me get my plastic shield and let me put that between us and let me, you sit over there and I'll sit over here and, you know, let me wipe off the pencils when you're done using them. And so I think that's what has been hard. And, and I stress to them, this isn't how I want it to be, but this is how it has to be. And we all know that and we review that, but to me, it comes across very impersonal right now. And that's hard. So going along with having to adapt, what would you say are some new teaching methods that you've had to implement into your classroom with the new guidelines? Well, one is utilizing more electronic means for assignments and things like that. I personally, I use technology, but I'm still at certain times very much a paper and pencil person. And I know some of my students are that same way too. And I feel like now they are just on the screen like all day long. 
And so some of them prefer to do things paper and pencil, but we're not supposed to collect papers and I'm not supposed to hand papers back um, if I collect them. So that's been, you know, something new that I've had to adapt. The other thing is just trying to bring in some new technology, trying to figure out how do you use the Prometheum board with the computer that projects with the laptop that has two students on remote learning when you want to show a video and you have to get rid of the feedback and you have to be able to hear them, but the rest of the class isn't supposed to see the students that are on the computer and how do you answer questions in the chat and still be with the students that are in person. So it's just a lot of the the logistical things. I'm utilizing the same curriculum because the curriculum is actually technology-based in a lot of ways. And so the students are familiar with that, but it's just some of the components that were not technology-based, trying to make them that way and trying to introduce that to the students. So overall, the biggest adaptation for me has been the technology and getting that to work for all of the students. So I know that I've personally heard you talk about probably at least five different online programs that you use. So how many different online programs do you actually use? What are they and what's the purpose of each one? Okay. Our curriculums are have a technology component. So we use the HMH System 44 and Read 180 programs for reading. And then we use the Math 180 program in our math classes. So those have a student application component where the students work individually as reinforcement for the lessons that I teach in class. So they were already familiar with that. Along with that, um, the programs come with the interactive technology on the whiteboard that we had already been utilizing. So those things were already in place, but we have added to that, um, putting all of the assignments in Google Classroom. We have added uh, regular Google Meets with students who are remote. I've introduced the idea of Flipgrid. Students can make their own videos to respond to things or to share project or something with the class. We have utilized Kahoot a little bit more as a way that the students at home can kind of feel like they're interacting a little bit more and as a review tool. I would say those are the the main ones. We've explored a little bit with Jamboard. So we're going to try that interactive whiteboard. But I know that what I've heard from my students is when they travel from class to class, kind of like you said, everybody's using something and everybody's using something a little bit different. And I think at the beginning, they enjoyed it. And now when I say something, it's like, oh, we already did that in this class, or, oh, we're going to do that again. In some ways, I sense that they're getting tired of the technology. So I've really tried to scale back to really just the basics. What do we need to be functional, and how can I use that? I've tried to use things like Google Forms as a way to build relationships with the students. So and then part of Google Classroom. The Google Classroom has a stream on the front, which is basically just announcements and things like that. 
I've tried to introduce it to the students as this is kind of like the hallway. This is where the, hey, how are you doing? What are you doing this weekend? And so we do try to have some conversations. And so we would always take time on Monday. What did you do this weekend? Tell me the best thing about your weekend. On Fridays, it was always high five Friday. Tell me what you're doing over the weekend. What are you most looking forward to? And we can high five and it's harder to get through that. So we've kind of taken to using that stream in Google Classroom where everybody can kind of throw out their, hey, what did you do? And then I encourage them to respond. So um, did you like that movie that you saw? Or you know, somebody says they went to a birthday party or that it was their birthday. So that's been kind of interesting to see the students interact in that way. And then I will always respond privately to those students and kind of ask them a follow-up question. And I've tried to, either through email or through a private message, every week I just try to rotate a few students and just reach out to them. I have a Google form that's a check-in that they just go through and, you know, how are you feeling today? So I've tried to utilize those types of programs as a way to kind of build relationships and kind of um, give me that opportunity to get to know students as it's harder to do it in person. Do you think you personally will continue to have everything online or if the restrictions ease up a little bit, will you add in more of the hard copies of assignments and student work and really use the pen and paper? I think there are some things that I will um, keep online. I think there are other things that I will probably give the students a choice of. So things like their reading logs, or we do quick writes where they respond to something they've read or we'll just do like a bell ringer that's more like a journal activity. I think those things I would probably give the students a choice. How do you want to respond to that? Because I know some would prefer uh, to write and not type everything. Um, but then there are some other things that I feel have kind of streamlined some things. And so I think I would continue to, to go the technology route with some of those. You mentioned that during the spring, it was hard because some students had social studies classes going, but they also had social work minutes for their IEPs in there. How hard was it to meet IEP goals in the spring? And then has that eased up now in the fall, now that some of those restrictions are gone and you're back in person? Or is it still really difficult in the spring, it was really difficult to meet those goals, particularly because not all of the goals and objectives that we have blend real easily with our curriculum. Some of them are kind of some foundational skills or some of them are skills that students are lacking and you wanna go back and try to build up, but they don't really match exactly where you are in the curriculum. So those things became very difficult in the spring because you were trying to figure out how do I get the main stuff taken care of and then how do I you know do this extra and how do I collect data on this and how do I provide intervention on these things this fall it's been easier but as I just finished up my first quarter updates I realized that I didn't have everything I needed and Part of that was we spent so much time at the beginning trying to get everybody back in school mode, um, trying to follow a schedule again, trying to learn um, all the new routines about 
we can't do this and you have to keep this separate and we got to be this far apart and we have to wash our desk before we leave and we have to use hand sanitizer when we come in. And at the beginning of the year, it looked like we were probably not going to be here very long. And so we really worked very quickly at the beginning, revisiting some of those um, technology platforms, particularly for those students I had that were not engaged in the spring, wanting them to know. So we right away started putting everything on Google Classroom. We, in a couple of my classes, we held class through Google Meets a couple of times so we could practice getting on and how do you navigate this. And then as Google started sending out more updates, we kind of backed off a little bit because not everybody had all the updates at the same time. Um, and that's something I want to revisit is how do we do that and make meeting rooms and get them access to that. So we really focused a lot on that. It took us a couple weeks just for everybody to bring back the stuff they had at home. They were still bringing back library books and textbooks and taking inventory of that. And we spent a lot of the time at the beginning of the year just doing some assessments and figuring out where, where they were. So I noticed that when I went to do some of my updates that I'm like, oh, we just didn't get to that this quarter. And so there's some things I've already started here in second quarter. So the beginning of the year was better than the spring, but it was still not what I would say typical of what we would usually do as far as those IEP goals and objectives. So tell me about what a normal day at work would look like. I don't know what normal is because I feel like every day is different. So flexibility has really been the name of the game, which I've always, I think anyone who's in, anyone who's in teaching, I think that's an important trait to have. But I think anyone who is in special education, that is definitely something that you just need to be aware of, that um, you may have everything laid out and it just isn't going to happen that way during the day. But usually I am one, I like to get here early. I like to make sure everything is kind of in place for the day. And this year, because students can't congregate in places in the building before school, like the cafeteria or the gym when their bus arrives, they are actually coming into the classrooms 20 minutes earlier than normal. So that has been a big adjustment because I use that time in the morning for things. But they're coming in and I the school day hasn't really started yet, but it's not just free time either because they can't be up and around. So I try to use that time as a chance to visit with them, catch up with them. I usually have something on the board when they come in, you know, if you're missing some assignments or, hey, clean out your email inbox, just some little task that they can do, but still visit and, and do that. Um, but that has been an adjustment. And then this year, instead of being 60 minutes long, our classes are 47 to 50 minutes long. So that has shortened that time. So just making that adaptation too. But I will say it was just so good to see them because it was hard to do everything virtually. So having them here in person has been wonderful. And so that is one of the real highlights, I think. But I have the instructional classes. So I have classes back to back from 8 a.m. to 11 a.m. And I do have a classroom assistant that is with me during that time. And then I do have a break in the middle of the day for my lunch and prep. And then I finish up with another instructional class 
and then an eighth grade advisory class. When our students leave at two o'clock, we still stay till the end of our contractual day at 3.20. So that last hour of the day is spent um, getting online with students to touch base if they are, are missing something, if they're one of our remote learners. It's also time to reach out to parents. That's when I'm trying to um, do some of the IEP work that we have to do. And then we're free to leave anytime after 3.20. And I have found myself taking things home to make sure that I'm ready for the next day because just getting everything put on Google Classroom, it's really a great organizational tool, but it is challenging to keep up with that. And the other technology platform that we use is we use our school management system, which is Skyward. And Skyward rolled out a big change this year. So the whole attendance program, our grade book, all of that is new. Um, so we were, you know, figuring that out as well. Great the, timing, right? <laughs> yes. Yes. And the students have access to that. There's a student version that they use to access their grades and their missing assignments. And so the first couple of days when they logged in, they're like, wait, this is different. So I feel like my, my schedule is the same every day, but what happens changes. I mean, sometimes students are behind and they want to come in during that um, prep period. Sometimes at two o'clock, I am getting on with students to, you know, get some things um, done or to reteach some things with a student that was online. We've also had students going in and out of quarantine. So that's been a lot of conversations back and forth to help them navigate that because they don't necessarily go live with the class. So it's just been a lot, but I feel like overall it's caused me to kind of take a pause and look at what I do and to kind of stretch myself. I did use this summer to keep working on the technology and I got Google certified and I got Flipgrid certified and, you know, so I can bring those things in to the class. But yeah, every day is just, and I've seen some residual effects of kids just struggling to get back into the school mode and things being different at home. And so I spend a lot of my prep period in collaboration with our social worker or our speech language pathologist as well. So that's how I spend some portion of each of my days is just collaborating with my colleagues as much as I can. So what did today specifically look like? Today was just a pretty average day. Um, we didn't have anyone that had real significant needs. We just kind of went through, got quite a bit accomplished. I was able to welcome back two students that had been in quarantine actually for multiple cycles, some things just kind of went through their house. And so their clock kept resetting. Um, and it was really exciting to see the way they were greeted by their fellow students. They, people were just really excited to, to see them. And uh, then I spent some time reaching out to parents. Um, I hadn't done um, parent contacts in a while. So I tried just to make some phone calls and touch base. Been pretty good day. Um, do you see this style of education becoming, just becoming the new normal going into the future? I hope not all of it. <laughs> there are certain things that I think, okay, yeah, we probably should have been doing this all along. You know, like we clean our desks at the end of every hour. And I think that's really not a bad thing. Cause if you're the kid that comes in seventh hour and everybody's sat at that desk all day long, yeah, we probably should have been doing a little bit more of that. The we have to stay so far apart. And when we have our math game day, I have to put a shield up between two students. I hope that part doesn't stay. Um, but I do hope that 
some of the things that we have talked about, about why we wear a mask and that it's not just all about you. We need to have more of a collective conscience. And our school has a theme every year in our Last two years ago, it was be the change. And um, last year it was, it just, it starts with one. And so we've just kind of kept those this year and just how one person can make a difference and how we can change things. And those have been good messages for our students at this time. And I've seen them, you know, I've I've overheard conversations of, hey, have you talked to so-and-so because they're in quarantine? Yeah, I did. She's not sick, but, you know, and, and just to hear them the way they've kind of checked in on each other and they're just kind of curious about when is so-and-so coming back? They've been gone a long time. Are they sick or is it someone in their family? And obviously you can't answer all of those questions, but just to see that care and concern is something that I hope continues. I also hope that as educators, we continue to try new things. This has forced us to try new things in many ways. I don't know that I like how many new things I'm trying all at once, but it's not bad. And I feel like we're, we're learning and we're um, stretching ourselves. And so I hope that part doesn't go away. I'd like to be able to give everybody a high five. I'd like to you know, be able to sit down and, and have a closer one-on-one conversation with a student. But I, I do think that there are going to be some things that we do see um, continue, and that's okay, but I, I hope not all of it continues. What advice would you give to future educators who are coming into teaching and have never really seen any other style other than what we're living in right now? Help the older ones. Um, <laughs> If this is what you come into, you may be better prepared. Uh, Just that key of flexibility, know that the technology isn't going to work every time to 100%. And you can't let that, you can't let that get you flustered and you can't let that, you know, and I I just tell the students, you know what, guys, this, this isn't working, we're going to have to redo this or we're going to try this. And can you guys be my practice group? But that flexibility to learn as you go in some instances, because it is new. So you try to be as prepared as you can, but ultimately, whether it's this education style or any other, it's not always going to go as you plan, but uh, rely on your colleagues. It's real easy um, because we have to stay distance to not have much interaction. And that is a challenge. So reaching out, whether it's email or even though we're in the building, we still have some Zoom meetings from different rooms where we collaborate. But I think the main thing is you're not alone in what you're doing. And in a sense, in a very real sense, this is new for everyone. Even if you used a lot of technology in your classroom previously, you didn't use it in this way. And when you're using it in your classroom and your students are all here, you're pretty much the driving force. When they're at home in 20 different locations, it's not as easy to be in control of all of that. And so there's a lot more variables that come into play with it. I would just say, if you are coming into this field and this is how we are, find a way to develop those relationships with students. Do the best you can and know that your best is you know, all you can do. And some days are harder than others. But I think at the end, the reward is still there. As educators, we just want to see 
those students succeed. We want to see that light bulb moment and we're still getting that. And so those are the things you just have to, to hang your hat on and know that that's coming. Well, thank you so much for all of your wisdom. This has been Charting Uncharted Waters, Special Education in the Days of COVID, a project of the Olivet Nazarene University Special Education Program. Special thanks to the teachers and schools in our area who continue to do great work no matter what comes their way. Thanks also to the Frias family, whose generous support has made this and several other projects possible. Finally, a huge thanks to Professor Brian Utter in the Communications Department at Olivet, particularly for recommending Shimada Fontes. Shimada's hard work and ability have made this podcast come to life. Find out more about Olivet and the Special Education Teacher Training Program at olivet.edu.